Can you hear me? Am I on? Test, test. Test, test, test. I'm sort of on. I'm just not very loud. They know I'm loud. They don't have to turn me up very much. Well, I love that hymn. Uh, if you know me, you know, like, that's my favorite hymn, in the Baptist, at least in the Baptist hymnal. Um, and uh, it's just old Wesley hymns. It's, it's great. If you, uh, if, you pay attention to the, if you were paying attention to the words, and I know all of you were, um, it's just a, it's a great, great, great hymn. Um, I always think about, um, I, I, I think about it almost every time. Uh, Grandma probably doesn't remember this, but we used to go to the nursing home and sing once a month for our nursing home services. And uh, that big room would just be full of people, and we'd pass out. You know, when we got new hymnals here, we brought uh, several boxes of hymnals out to the, to the a nursing home uh, that, that resided out there. I don't know if they're still there or not, but uh, we would pass out all our little Baptist hymnals. And, uh, you know, 15 years ago, I, I started trying to preach out there. You know, they were supposed to have church at the nursing home. I started by, you know, having a 15-minute sermon, and I found that very quickly no one was listening to the sermon and so very early on, we just went to, we just went out there and sang. And, uh, hey, you, what do you guys want to sing? And they would pick songs, and we would sing them. And we would do that for, what, 40 minutes or something. Just they would pick songs, and we would sing them. And uh, there was this lady, I don't know her name, never knew her name. I think she may still be out there. She was fairly young at the time. Um, the dark-headed lady, kind of heavyset. What is it? No, no, this wasn't Aura. This was way after, this was after Aura was gone. Uh, Aura Collins would always, uh, she would always want to sing, um, uh, when we all get to heaven, she, that's where my husband is. She would say that every, every time we did it, well, I want to sing when we all get to heaven, that's where my husband is. And, uh, but this lady didn't sing, she would sit and read her newspaper. And so we're up singing one time, we're asking for people to, to pick songs, and she kind of deviled me quite a bit, you know, we were, we were sort of buddies, and I didn't know her name, obviously, real close. And, uh, uh, but she hollers out a number, 147. And uh, she was reading her newspaper while she did it. I said, do you even know what that song is? She said, no. <laughs> she was just picking numbers. But it happened to be that song. I said, well, it's my favorite song. We're going to sing it since you picked it. But uh, she had no idea. That was a long story with a small punchline, sorry. Um, but I do like that. The funniest thing, since we're telling the stories, I'll give you a better punchline. When Chad McMath was here, an associate pastor that we had, we really, really loved Chad. He was here for about five or six years. And uh, he had told me once that he thought, um, oh gosh, I can't remember anything. Uh, yeah, when the role, my grandmother's remembering things better than I am tonight. Uh, when the role is called up yonder, he didn't like that song. He thought it sounded pretty hickey, I think, yonder, you know, or whatever. He didn't like when the role was called up yonder. And so we were all singing one day, and uh, we decided to sing that song. And so um, I called Chad, and he was actually in Walmart at the time. And uh, so he answered the phone, and we just started singing that song. And he sang along with us uh, right there on speakerphone, and then we hung up on him as soon as it was over. Um, so uh, anyway, we'll get, we'll get started here in a second. John Bailey had a prayer request, and we're going to start there. So tell us what's going on there. Yep. Okay, so Vernon's Vernon's struggling a little bit. We'll, we're just going to have a prayer right now for Vernon, and uh, and uh, so uh, let's pray for that. Father, we are grateful for your love and mercy to us. Grateful for. Uh, the way that you uh, sustain your children even through hard times. And we pray for Vernon, especially uh, right now as he is uh, uh, struggling here with this, uh, this uh, health issue in amidst uh, still, uh, still grieving over the loss of his wife. We just pray that you would lift him up physically, uh, bring him healing and help, and that, Father, that you would uh, bring him a continued uh, uh, comfort and encouragement. Uh, we know that... Uh, he loves you and that you love him, and I pray that you would help him through this time and bring him healing, we pray, and uh, we commit him to your care. And uh, I'm sure that our minds are full of other people who are needing your help, and we just lift them to you right now in our minds. 
and uh, we pray that you would sustain and help each one of them as well. And we commit this time to you, and we ask that you would speak to us now through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who don't know Vernon, Vernon had a really, really bad heart um, runs in the family. And some years ago, he was on the heart transplant list. And some years ago, he got a new heart. So he's had a heart transplant, and he's much better than he used to be in that regard. Um, someone really intelligent. Uh, Wade, you're a math person. Uh, kind of give me a rough estimate of how many of these handouts I'm going to need here. 47. Tell me how many you think are here. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, make about 15 more. We'll see. I, he estimated that, and I just guessed at the number of this. So make, I don't know, 15, 15 or 20 more. 15 more probably get it. Well, uh, yeah, but I've got a stack of them here that are, I don't know, make 20 more. Who wants to help me pass these out? Owen? Levi? You guys both raised your hand first. Sorry, Luke. You're my favorite in class, but not around here. Okay. Um, yeah, there's not as many here as I thought, but uh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> that a boy, Wade. You, it's that counting. Hey. Hey, Wade. <laughs> counting cows will prepare you for counting people at church, won't it? Yeah, it's easier. It's, it's, Mom said we're not moving around like a bunch of cows. That's so true. <clears throat> okay, when you get this as a handout, and um, I don't, ex you know, it may mean a whole lot to you, and it may not, but we're going to get to it in a little bit. Um, so um, let's just go ahead and get started. So if you don't have that handout yet, don't, don't fret too bad uh, because uh, the, the, they're coming and we're not going to use them just yet. Uh, now, Abigail gave me permission to share this. Abigail asked a top-notch question the other day, uh, several questions, and um, I told her I would, I would do my best in answering it. It's going to take all of tonight's uh, lesson to answer the questions. <laughs> well, they're big questions, and they're the questions, uh, they're the question, they're the kind of, it's the kind of question, I mean, it's a multi-part question, but it's the kind of question uh, that is at the source of a lot of the different denominations, and the different denominational squabbles that we've had for the last 500 years at least. Um, so they're big questions, and we're not even going to solve everything tonight, but we're going to at least lay out a pretty good outline, I think, of what I think. She asked me, after all, what I think, and not how many more did we need besides 15? We did? Good. Oh, hallelujah. Anyone need? They're going like hotcakes. So we're going to at least give uh, a somewhat of an answer and... Um, So here's the thing on this, uh, to whom much, uh, oh, so what, what um, that's not the right verse. I'm thinking of, uh, uh, maybe I, I, can't, I, I can't quote that verse. I'll just leave that out of my, my explanation. Um, depending on what your questions are about the Bible, depending on kind of where you are in your understanding of how you put the Bible together, um, we're all asking different questions, aren't we, uh, when we come to the Bible? And it's, it's, it's super important that when we come to the Bible, we ask questions. And it's really important that we, we get our questions answered. And the kind of questions that she asked in this are the kinds of questions that, that impact whether you're going to be a Presbyterian or a Baptist. It's at that level. Um, whether, you know, what kind of, what kind of a theology you're going to have. Um, or even, you'll, you'll hear some even more practical questions like... Uh, um, am I... Am I, am I allowed to eat bread pudding? She, or not bread pudding, <laughs> blood pudding. She didn't say, boy, I used to like bread pudding, but I've never tried blood pudding. She actually doesn't, doesn't ask that specifically, but that's, uh, that's part of the application. Let me just go ahead and, since we're, we don't have any distractions now, let me go ahead and just, uh, just ask the question here. I'm going to read her text just as it is. 
And then we'll go through uh, some of these things and try to, try to get an outline and try to answer some of these questions. Okay, so are all the covenants we've mentioned still ongoing? That's a good question, isn't it? So we've talked about the creation covenant. We've talked about the uh, Noahic covenant, then the Abrahamic covenant, and then the, the Mosaic covenant all up to this point, haven't we? We also have the Davidic covenant and the new covenant. Those are all the major covenants in the Bible. And then there's some little ones between Abimelech and Abraham or something like that that does not concern us. We know that. But those major covenants, are all those covenants ongoing? Are we obligated under the, under the rules of those covenants or not? And if not, why not? Or if so, why? And what's that mean for us? Okay, so that's a good question. I don't think they can all be, but how can we tell the difference between a covenant that has ended and one that is ongoing? Great question. Noahic versus Abrahamic versus Mosaic, for example. Is the church automatically, quote, grandfathered into these covenants? That's a good question as well. Minchie says, to be more specific, do we still follow the instructions given to Adam to be fruitful and multiply? That's a good question, isn't it? Uh, so if you're getting married, does God command you to be fruitful and multiply? Uh, that's, that's a very practical question. Do we still refrain from eating flesh with its blood in it, like Noah was commanded? That's, that's also a very practical question. I was sitting in class, in a New Testament class, next to an African student. Um, and he explained that in his tribe where he was from, in his uh, area where he was from, he was from sort of the, the rural area of Africa, you might say, uh, that they uh, would kill an animal and just get some of its blood and just drink it. So he had a real practical question. Is that, a, is that appropriate or not? Okay. Um, okay. And then, why do we not follow the Mosaic law? And then she says, tangentially. I mean, come on, Abigail. What kind of, a, what kind of an egghead uses a word like tangentially? I'm just teasing you. I'm just teasing you. I don't even kind of know what that means. Tangentially. I don't even know if I said it right. Did I say it right? Okay. You know I'm teasing you. All right. Do you believe in the tripart division? See, it gets worse. Do you believe in the tripart division? I ask for permission to read this. Tangentially, do you believe in the tripart division where we still follow the moral component? Did you catch that? If you want to start a bar fight, just go into the corner bar this week and read that sentence. <laughs> ask someone about that. <laughs> All right, so in other words... The tripart division of the Mosaic Code, do we follow that? The, the division of, 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 um, of dividing the Mosaic Covenant into moral, civil, and ceremonial laws. So the, the, the typical Reformed presentation, since the Westminster Assembly at least, of this is that you, you can divide the Mosaic Code, uh, the laws, into three categories. Moral, civil, and ceremonial the moral is still um, uh, obligatory upon Christians, but the ceremony and the civil laws have passed, and they're not obligatory. And she's asking, do I think that's right or wrong? Um, that's all. That's the question. So that's a, that's a great question, and, uh, and we're going to deal with it. Any thoughts or comments before I just kind of jump in there on some of that? Any thoughts or comments on that before we, or clarifications, or further kind of like, ooh, I wondered about this aspect of it, before we just jump in and, and start answering those. Obligatory means that we have to do it, yeah. So do we have to, um, yeah, so, uh, so the, um, and I'll explain the whole tripart division here in just a second, I think it'd be a good place to start. Anything else? Okay. Um, so, are all co the covenants of the Old Testament ongoing? Uh, and how can we tell? What do you guys think? I'm just curious. I'm curious of what... Now, 
I'm not saying this so that I can nail your hide to the wall. I'm not doing that. But I'm also not a very sensitive person or good about, about making you uh, feel good about giving the wrong answer. So enter at your own risk here. But, I'm, but I am curious. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not going to ask a question. That's exactly right. See, and you're relatively new here and you've already figured it out that, you know, he's going to, you know, but here's the thing. Um, I'm just curious of, what, of what, our, what our viewpoints is on this and what people think. Yeah. No act, yes. Okay. And what? Is okay. So that she's she's voting that yes, we still have to obey the Noahic covenant. Yes. Well, the Mosaic covenant was fulfilled in Christ. Okay, Mosaic covenant fulfilled in Christ. Yes. Okay. Okay. Which which one? All of them. Okay. In a sense, okay, yeah, I see, because of Christ fulfilling them and he's still alive. That's interesting, okay, good. Yeah, that's a Noahic, Noahic covenant, I think, is kind of where, where you're probably thinking on that, yeah. Oh, I see, I see. I see. Yes. So there's two things, and I probably told you wrong. So there's, there's a, the Noahic covenant. We're given animals to eat, but told not to eat the blood. And then the Mosaic covenant, they're told, uh, look at their feet. And if they have these kind of feet, you can't eat them. If you have these kind of feet, you can't eat them, that sort of thing. And that's the part that you're saying, that would, obviously that's not, not still in action because that was undone in the New Testament. That's what you're saying. Yeah. No, no, but that's a really good, it's a really good insight. I'm, I'll, I'll get to you next, but I want to make sure everyone hears this insight. It's very good. She says, okay, so this is good reasoning. She says, okay, the Mosaic Covenant has this stuff about the animals. Don't eat this kind, eat this kind. We know that must have been undone or, ob, or uh, uh, obliterated or nullified or something because now, or at least in Acts, um, those things are overturned with Peter's vision in Acts. And uh, so that can't, but then again, you know, the Ten Commandments, and that comes from the Mosaic Covenant, kind of, kind of, we kind of want to feel like the Ten Commandments are okay. I was going to get his first, yes. All Scripture. Is God breathed and useful for? Right. Right. Amen. Okay, so this is a great comment. This is a great comment. And so I agree with everything that you said. All scripture is God-breathed, useful for doctrine and proof, training in righteousness. I don't know that I could give the list quite as well as you did. But the point being that all scripture is that. Now, the question still remains, though. I'm going to throw it back at you. still remains, um, how does it instruct us? How does it reprove us, and does it all equally apply to us? So you, we wouldn't take something, for example, a portion out of the narrative sections when someone is giving really bad advice or someone saying something sinful and saying, do that. Be- because even though that's part of Scripture, it doesn't inst- that part wouldn't instruct us in the same way as the Ten Commandments would or uh, something from Jesus would. Same thing applies to these covenants. So it really does circle back on itself. We still have to ask the question. You helped us. 
but you didn't get us out of the ditch because we still have to ask the question, does it apply to us? I'll give you one more before I get Diane. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Right. Yeah. I hear what you're saying, but I'm saying even with that distinction, what I'm saying is um, not everything in the Bible, although it's for, it's, it's for our instruction, our training, it doesn't all apply to us the same way. So we're still asking the question. Yes, Diane? Let me, let me repeat the, 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 the passage. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. That's for the folks at home and for the folks that couldn't hear you. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. Can I read that? For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two and so making peace. Okay, so what, what's your thoughts on that? Right, right. Now you only get three. You, you sure you want to use your third one right now? Okay, go ahead. Okay. Uh huh. But to fulfill it. Very good. Amen. You're not. You're not going to be mad at all at what I say. I don't think. I don't know. So this is great. Yes, Andrew. Okay, throw it out there. Okay. But uh, I also think that, like, the Gentiles are forever. I don't have the same rules because, you know, you're supposed to keep Passover and stuff. But also, you have the God of Joshua only pass away. That's okay. Thought, okay, it's great, great. Well, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, we won't get the questions answered if we keep getting comments. I'll take one more if you've got something. Just someone out there's got something they really want to say. Yeah. Yeah. We keep the Ten Commandments except the Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Okay, go ahead. Everyone is to keep the Sabbath, but it never mentions wives or mothers. Everyone else is listed as all the servants and the children. Doesn't mention the wives and mothers. Even mentions the slaves and the, and the oxes. And if I can, the asses even. And it doesn't even mention the... Now, if I was being... Never mind. I won't even. I won't even go there. <laughs> All right. Okay. So here, let's jump into it. So, how do we know which covenant? This is great. And this, I've always kind of wondered this. How do we know which covenants are um, which covenants are still in effect and which covenants uh, have passed away? Um, and I, w I wish we could just kind of tear in and say more because there's other things that we could go through and we could look at the way the Old Covenant is described in the texts and everything. But I don't want to belabor it too much. But in a nutshell, um, well, whatever the Bible says, right? That's your answer. But what does the Bible say? So the first thing to, to, to look at is, is there any kind of a biblical statement that says the covenant is an everlasting covenant. So some covenants are called everlasting covenants, and some covenants are not called everlasting covenant. And, and I'll just tell you, the Mosaic covenant is never called an everlasting covenant. Now, is there any place in the Bible that says a covenant has been um, annulled or had, in other words, if the Bible tells you this covenant is no longer in effect, then that would be your clue that that covenant doesn't carry on and it's no longer in effect. If a covenant is called an everlasting covenant, that would be a good clue that that covenant never does pass away. Does that make sense? So I'm just on principle. 
on principle, if you can find somewhere where the Bible says this covenant has passed away or is passing away, that's a clue that it's passing away. I mean, this is not rocket surgery here, right? And then if it says that this covenant is an everlasting covenant, that would be a clue that it's not going to pass away. So we need to look for those types of clues. That would be the first thing I would say. In a minute, we'll look at some of those. You got something? What? Just itching. Okay. Um, And the other thing would be to look at who is the covenant made with? Who are the members of the covenant? And are you in that group? Okay. So let's just, uh, let's just look at this. Now, all I have really for this is um, I have my notes. I just sat down and, and scribbled on a piece of paper with a Bible. And, uh, and so we're going to go through some, some of it. Let's turn in our Bibles. I have to find where on my notes I put this. Um, I'm I'm wishing now that I had rewritten all of this, but Hebrews 8, let's go to Hebrews 8. Um, Hebrews chapter 8, uh, we're going to start with verse, uh, well, just verse... Verse 1, I want to read a few verses, and then I'm going to jump down, okay? So this is Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Um, here's what's going on. If we shadow or if we kind of mirror read the book of Hebrews, it seems that the audience of the book of Hebrews, the people receiving this letter, they are Jewish Christians, and they are um, trying to figure out this question that we're asking right now. What's my relationship with the Mosaic law as a covenant? And, um, and uh, should, must I keep the Mosaic code in order to be a Christian? And must, uh, must Gentiles even keep the Mosaic code in, to be, in order to be a Christian? This was a huge question. Acts 15 deals with this question. And so it seems that the, the, the audience that are receiving this book are tempted to say, yes, we have to keep the entire Mosaic Code to be a Christian. And um, whoever is writing the letter, if you think it's Paul or one of Paul's buddies, they're writing this letter and, and saying, actually, the new covenant's a better covenant. Christ is a better Moses. Um, he's even better than the angels. You know, and he's laying out his reasoning for why Jesus is enough. It's not Jesus plus something. It's just the new covenant with Jesus as the head of the new covenant. So uh, look in ver- uh, Hebrews 8.1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent, that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. So he's talking about the Mosaic Code. Verse 5, they, that is the priest of the Mosaic Law, they serve a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. End quote. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. It's, his, his ministry is as more excellent than their ministry, uh, more excellent than their ministry as the covenant he is mediating is better than their covenant. You see what he's saying? The new covenant's better than the old covenant and his ministry in the new covenant's much better than their ministry in the old covenant. That's what he's saying. Um, Okay, so I'm going to read that again. Uh, Verse 6, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant, the Mosaic covenant, had been faultless, if it had been perfect, if it had been, you say it's the word of God. Yes, it's the word of God, but he didn't say it was faultless. It's interesting, isn't it? 
For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second covenant, for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That's in Jeremiah 31, isn't it? Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. What a shout. He quoted the whole thing. Amen. Watch the next verse. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. There's your answer. It's obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So he says ready to vanish away because when he's writing this, the temple is still standing and they're still offering sacrifices. It's the already and not yet. Um, God in his mercy gave people 40 years to get saved. That's, that's what Acts is about. And this isn't our point but um, Acts says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and in, to the ends of the earth. And, and, and that's the outline of the book of Acts. And the point, I'm sorry, but the point of the book of Acts is that the, that the uh, apostles completed the Great Commission in less than 40 years. That is the point of the book of Acts. Does that make you, that bother you, Diane? It's, that's, that's the point. You're, you're giving me a, you're looking at me like... Say that again, and we'll throw a dagger at you. But, but it's true. That's the point of the book of Acts. Uh, it's the point of the book of... Now, that doesn't mean the Great Commission doesn't need to be fulfilled. Now, it does. But the point of the book of Acts is they fulfilled the Great, the great Commission in less than 40 years. It's amazing. It is amazing. I saw a map once on the interwebs uh, where it showed the gospel spreading forth by decade, ending before the year 70, and it went all over the Roman Empire uh, in, in less than 40 years documented. Uh, amazing. And why? Because it had to be so. Because the temple was vanishing away and that way to God was ending. And everyone that in the known world needed to know where the other, what the other option was before Jesus came in judgment and destroyed the temple. And it wasn't, that way didn't exist anymore. And Hebrews is writing in the middle of that period and he said, look, it's vanishing. It's obsolete already, and it's about to vanish away, and it happened, right? So, so let me just, just give some answers, because I want to get to the real stuff that we care about, which is what in the world are we going to do with all this tripart division? I think there's a good answer that I didn't give you in the text, and I think we'll hang out there probably. But, um, so the Mosaic Code was replaced by a better covenant, okay? The Mosaic Covenant was replaced by a better covenant, that is the new covenant. Um, and, uh, and I'll back up. Let me outline some things kind of very quickly and see if you have any questions on it, okay? So uh, just in a practical term, I'm a Gentile, so here's what I'm under. The creation covenant was made with all creation. And um, the creation covenant, I believe, is still in operation, and I as a Gentile am still under the creation covenant because I'm, God, I'm part of God's creation, and all Jews are still under it because they're Jews and they're part of God's creation. And even, you know, I guess the animals are under it too. But the creation, with whatever stipulations were there, you know, we're still under that covenant. Now, the, the thing is, the creation covenant said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then God preached the gospel to them and didn't kill them that day. So what's the creation covenant actually mean for us right now? Well, here's what it means. You can walk down the street in any city. You just pick the city on the map. You can walk down the street. You can walk up to someone you don't know, you've never met, and you can tell, look that person in the eye and tell that person, apart from Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. And you know it's true because they're part of God's creation in a fallen world. Does that make sense? 
So these people that debate about whether the creation covenant still, I mean, that's the reason why everyone's lost, because there was a fall, okay? Now, the Noahic covenant, we've already talked about this, was kind of a re-establishing, uh, if you will. We've talked about this. There's two, uh, G- uh, Peter Gentry does this work in his book, and there's two Hebrew words that are used as verbs uh, behind berit. Uh, karat berit means to cut a covenant. Hakim berit means to uphold a covenant. And there, it's the, the, the use is consistent throughout the Hebrew canon that when he's talking about a brand new covenant being made, it's, it's, it's cut a covenant, or karat berit. And when a, a, a previously made covenant is being kind of reestablished or upheld or restated, it's hakim berit. And, no, and, the, and the language in Genesis 9 with the Noahic covenant is hakim berit. It's a, it's a reestablishing of the creation covenant, which is why the language uh, looks so similar. But the difference is that we are given, we are, the, the, the food is expanded. We are allowed to eat animals in the Noahic covenant, but we cannot eat um, flesh with its blood because the life is in the blood. We cannot eat the flesh with its blood in it. And you can look back at the Noahic covenant to see the rest, if there's any other stipulations I've missed. Um, one of them is you're not, you know, we're, not, we're, we're each other's keeper and we can't go around murdering each other. And even animals that kill humans have to be put to death. That's all in the Noahic Covenant. So capital punishment. Capital punishment, where someone has murdered a human being, that person must be put to death. That's part of the Noahic Covenant. It's part of God's covenant with all of his creation. So every society, every nation on earth, every human being in the world right now is under the Noahic Covenant. And if a nation does not put murderers to death, they are being disobedient to God's law. That should have been a big amen. Because that's for everyone. So capital punishment is part of the Noahic Covenant as long as there's a rainbow in the sky, which is God's sign of that covenant. As long as there's a rainbow in the sky then governments should put, put murderers to death. That's the part of the covenant. And we shouldn't eat meat with the blood in it, and we should watch out for one another, and you can have a hamburger. It's okay. Okay? That's the Noahic covenant, and we're all still under that. Okay? Um, the Abrahamic covenant is... Uh, I'll, just, I'll, I'll tell you what you'll see in the, in the Abrahamic covenant in chapter 12 of Genesis real quickly. So go ahead and go to Genesis 12 if you want. Outline this very quickly. First three verses of chapter 12. I'm going to read them. God says to Abram, Now Yahweh said to Abram, this is 12.1, Go, let me tell you what you're going to see. There are two imperatives, go and be a blessing. And your Bible may turn that second imperative into so that you will be a blessing, an indicative statement, but it's actually an imperative. The two imperatives in verse 1 and verse 2, go and be a blessing. Each imperative is followed by three things that God is going to do. The first set's for Abraham and the second set is for the nation's in relation to Abraham, and that's what concerns us. Now Yahweh said to Abraham, go, there's your first imperative, command is an imperative, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Three promises. One, I will make of you a great nation. Two, I will bless you. Three, I will make your name great. Three promises of God that are only for Abraham. You know, I, my professor, I got this from the professor that I sat under, and he said, uh, you know, that we have that song, every, every promise in the book is mine. Every host, every word, every line. He said, no, it's not. You know, these three promises are only for Abraham. These, these are, these are uh, singular, plural, singular use, and they're for Abraham. Now, the second imperative is be a blessing. That's a, that's a command to Abraham. Be a blessing. Now your three promises. I will bless those who bless you. Him who dis, second, him who dishonors you I will curse. And three, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Isn't that interesting? 
So two commandments, and each commandment is followed by three promises that God is going to do something. The first set, um, go from your country, and I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, is for Abraham. And then he tells Abraham, be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And those three promises are for anyone who, they're for the nations in their relationship with Abraham. Let's say it that way. Those last three promises are for the nations in their relationship to Abraham. Now, if you want to hold your place there, you can. I don't know that we're coming back, but we might. Go to Galatians, the book of Galatians. In the New Testament, after 2 Corinthians. And go to chapter 3. Bless you. Verse 13, Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law... By becoming a curse for us. For it is written in Deuteronomy, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So he talks about the blessings of Abraham, the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant coming to Gentiles. That's there in Genesis 12. The nations will be blessed because of their relationship to Abraham. Because Christ, he explains it in that paragraph, and we, we, we might come back to it another day. But he says, you know, when the promise was made, it was made to Abraham and to his seed. Does not mean, it doesn't say seeds, meaning many, but to one, meaning Christ. And Christ was Abraham's seed. He experienced the curse for us, but he earned the, he earned the righteousness for us. So you can receive the blessings of Abraham through Christ. So let me, let me explain the way that works. Uh, You all know this, but it's good to have it explained. Jesus Christ was born into every major covenant uh, of the Bible, uh, of the Old Testament. Every major covenant, Jesus Christ is born into those covenants. And Jesus is the only human being who was uh, a faithful son in every one of those covenants. Okay? Jesus is faithful in every one of those covenants. So Jesus himself earns the blessings that a faithful son in every one of those covenants should earn, okay? He's the only creation that was perfect, so he earns whatever the creation covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, he's a part of because he's a Jew, um, and all of the major covenants, and and the Mosaic covenant. By being faithful to to the covenants, he earns the covenant blessings for himself and... The new covenant says he earns those blessings for any who are under him as, his, as, as a, as a uh, member of the covenant. He's the covenant head of the new covenant. Does that make sense? So Jesus is a member of all of these covenants back here, and he, he is a faithful son, a faithful covenant member, so he earns the blessings of all the covenants. And then the new covenant says all of those blessings become yours through Jesus Christ. So he's the covenant head of the new covenant and he brings the blessings of all of the other covenants essentially to those who are his covenant body, if you will. And he's the covenant head. Does that make sense? Which is kind of what Wade's comment earlier had pointed to. He fulfills, he fulfills all of those, but receives blessings from that. And those blessings become ours in the new covenant. So what the new covenant gives us in blessings are actually tied into those things in, in a strange way. Through the new covenant. Yeah, yeah, we're, that's exactly right. So this is why we don't baptize our infants. Sorry, but we, we don't have to because... That's, that's pulling something from the old covenant. We don't have to do that because I'm a member of Jesus Christ. That's what that passage in Colossians means. I sat on the couch of my beloved Presbyterian friend when I was in college trying to figure out where I was going to be on this. And he's like showing me this. I'm like, I don't understand this because the, the passage 
I'm circumcised with a circumcision made without hands because I'm in Christ. I'm baptized into Christ. So Christ was a member of these covenants, and, he, and these covenant blessings become mine in him, in the new covenant. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. I don't, what is the passage? It's the proof, proof text for. It's the passage that um, anytime I've had one of my Presbyterian friends trying to convince me to become a Presbyterian, it's the passage that they have taken me to. 2.11, Colossians 2.11. Um, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So what I wanted, I, is it, that's, pretty, that's pretty straightforward, right? That's good, right? We're all, we're members of Jesus Christ in the new covenant. Um, I'm already catching heat for making this, uh, this uh, series too long, so I really hesitate to take more than one week to answer these questions. There's something else I've got to show you. So uh, let's turn to Exodus. What about the tripart division um, of the Mosaic Code? Um, this is very common. So my professors, when I, what I got in seminary, you're going to turn to Exodus 19, by the way. So what I got in seminary was, well, um, it's a very honest, very honest professor said, um, how do he put it? So the traditional way of understanding our relationship to the Mosaic Covenant is to divide the Mosaic Covenant into moral law, Ten Commandments, ceremonial law, it's so all the ceremonial laws and the civil laws. You know, all the, so you can go through all of the judgment laws and all the ceremonial laws. And then you got the moral laws and divide them, moral, civil, and ceremonial. And the, the moral law is what we still obey, but the civil and ceremonial are fulfilled in Christ. But we still have to obey the moral. And he said, now, a lot of people say that's not biblical, but I don't know what else to say. And I don't know what else to, you know. I mean, it's a very good answer. It's very honest. And that's where most people are. Quite honestly, you know, like Casey gave it to us earlier. I mean, like we know we can eat the meat. But I'm, I feel real hinky about disobeying one of the big ten. You know? So what do you do with that? Uh, then Peter Gentry was over there uh, saying, that's not what Moses said, you know, and it's, it's right. It's not what Moses said, and he's the, kind of the, the guy that shows up with a Hebrew Bible and a big beard, and, uh, you know, uh, and then, but he would say things that made you feel like he was telling you didn't have to keep the Ten Commandments, and everyone's kind of nervous about being called an antinomian, and so, and, but he didn't, you know, he didn't believe that, that way, but it, it sounded that way, and so what do you do? Well, I was very influenced by Peter Gentry, um, who got all of his education in literary structures and kind of reads the Hebrew Bible. And so uh, in that class, here's what he, he said. Um, so I, I was always confused by this. In, throughout the Old Testament, it talks about the book of the law. The book of the law. I was told in college, I think, that maybe that was just an early form of Deuteronomy. I said that for a long time. But uh, actually, um, if you look carefully, Moses actually calls Exodus 19... To 24. So chapters 19 to 24 are actually called the book of the law. Or the book of the covenant. Excuse me, I'm, I'm saying the wrong word. I'm getting a little bit loopy and tired. So the book of the covenant, and I'm, I've got like three minutes left, so I, I can outline this and we can pick it back up next week. This is kind of super important. So um, Exodus 19, if you're taking notes, 19 to 24 is actually called the Book of the Covenant. And it's made up of two sections. It's made up of the ten words that we call the Ten Commandments. It's just ten words in Hebrew. And the judgments or the rules in the ESV. I'm going to show you this, okay? Um, the best I can quickly. So... 19 is an introduction, chapter 20, and God spoke all these words, 
saying. And then there's your Ten Commandments. Look at at chapter 21, verse 1. Now these are the rules or the judgments. What does your Bible have? Different Bibles? Ordinances, rules, judgments. Um, Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. Um, It is uh, mishpatim, if you're into that sort of thing. Now let's go. I'm just looking at the notes of my Bible because I didn't go back and look at all of this. Go to, oh gosh, I hope I have it. Uh, chapter 24, and um, go to verse 3. Chapter 24. Now Moses came, he, he came down. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that Yahweh has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of Yahweh. I better keep reading. He rose early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood, uh, excuse me, he took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant that he had just written that it consisted of the words and the rules. He took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, again, all that Yahweh has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that Yahweh has made with you in accordance with all these words. So the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, you have just seen it, consists of the words and the judgments, or the words and the rules. And it is contained in Exodus 19 to 24. That is the covenant. There's a lot of other stuff there. And then they redo the covenant with, an, with, a, with their children, because all of these people are going to die. And they'll give the second giving of the law in the book of Deuteronomy. And he'll redo the covenant with the children of the people that, that were here. Does that make sense? So that this is the first part of the Bible that was written down, most likely. This is, the, this is the book of the covenant, and this is the one that they lost, and then they discovered, and they said, look, we found a book, you know. So here's the thing. The, Moses himself does not divide it up according to moral, civil, and ceremonial. But he does divide it up into two sections. The Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words, and then the Judgments. And here's, what, here's the punchline. The Ten Words is the nucleus of the covenant. And then the judgments are application of that ten words to everything else. Um, so the way I was taught, in, in my understanding, with a moral, civil, and ceremonial, the Ten Commandments is the moral law, and the other is applications of the moral law. So therefore, we don't have to keep that application, but we do have to keep the moral law. That's actually not very far from being wrong, but it's just not the way Moses divides it. Moses divides it by the words and the, and the rules. And so the rules still are application of the words. But the thing is that that's the Mosaic covenant. And my Bible in Hebrew says that has been annulled. So now what do you do? You don't have to keep the Ten Commandments? Well, here's, here's, here's where I'll leave it, and then we can pick it up later. Two things. What Peter Gentry told us in class, whether he's right or wrong, he's not God, so you just have to check it out for yourself. I never quite agreed with him 100% on some of what he said in this regard, but it's taken me about now 15 years later that I'm starting to understand finally what he meant. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I just didn't like the way you said it, okay? But what he said was the righteousness of God that's encoded in 10 words and then the rules, the righteousness of God has not changed. You are still created in the image of God and you still must model yourself after God. So do you have to keep the 10 commandments? Well, not really, because you're not under that covenant. You're under a new covenant. But the righteousness of God has not changed. So all of the things in the Ten Commandments are still, you have to keep, maybe except for that Sabbath thing. You know, right, right in the middle of the Ten Commandments is ceremonial law. You see? So, but, but you have Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount saying, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. And, he, and, that, and Matthew has him giving 
giving the new law is the new Moses. And it's the same stuff. It's just, you know, interpreted correctly. So that, that was his position. That's the way he described it. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with describing it all exactly like that, but that's, that's what he said, and you can understand what he, what he was getting at. Um, what I, what I kind of tend to think... Um, If, if what we've said up to this point is correct and that the Mosaic Code is kind of, a, is kind of being modeled after the creation covenant, does that make sense? The, the, the Mosaic Covenant is sort of being modeled after the creation covenant. Remember how we saw that? It's kind of a, a new Eden. And you remember how we went through all of that? It was, we had several pages, I think, of that. So if that's true, in the narrative of Genesis... Israel is kind of like the last Adam um, in, a, in a new promise. So it's kind of modeled after it. You would expect that the ten words that are the nucleus of the covenant might actually be modeled after the law written on the heart of the creation covenant. Does that make sense? So in the creation covenant, you and 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 all and me, we were all created in the image of God. After his likeness, which meant we needed to act like God. We needed to model ourselves after God. What are the Ten Commandments? They're the ways that God would act if he were a man. That's what it is. They're God's righteousness as it applies to a human being in an Iron Age culture. So it seems to me that the ten words that were the nucleus of the Mosaic Code were themselves modeled after the law written on the heart in the creation covenant. So it's not so much I have to keep the Ten Commandments because it's the Mosaic Code, but the Ten, it's, it's like what we had, I, I came full circle and I ended up right back at the Westminster Standards. That the, the, the Ten Commandments were a very good summary of the eternal moral law written on the heart at creation. And I think that's right. And that's where the Westminster Standards were in the Catechism. Except they got there in the wrong way. But I still think it's right. Or, you know what I mean, some of the, app, some of the way to get there, some of the stream that they led us through, through the moral, civil, and ceremony were not exactly right. And, but I still think that, that that's right. You know, the, the Ten Commandments were themselves modeled after the law written on the heart at the creation covenant. So if I'm wanting a good summary for what I need to be as a human being, I, I love going to the Ten Commandments and saying, there they are. And which also makes me a little bit more free when I get to the fourth commandment and trying to figure out exactly how to do this. It's fulfilled in Christ is what Hebrews says. And so I can be a little bit more free with the, the Sabbath law because my Bible says it was fulfilled in Christ and that particular law is for the Mosaic Code. It's, but it still acts as a good summary for the creation covenant. Does that make sense? Now, here's my... You've got to have a verse to back something like that up. So where do I go? Or where did I get it from would be a better answer. Like, I didn't just make that up. I got it. I, I believe that because I, I think that's what I see in Scripture. So Romans chapter 2, and we'll end here. If I keep you too long, the, the, um, the people in the nursery don't like it. I'm in, and I'm, I'm actually fairly scared of some of the ladies that work in the nursery. So, so <laughs> Romans, Romans chapter 2. I can't find Romans. I'm struggling. Um, gosh, I just wrote this down. 2, 14 to 15. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law they show the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. These are Gentiles who are not saved. Gentiles who are not saved naturally show the work of the law written on the heart. That shows me that Paul thinks there's a connection between the creation covenant, the law written on the heart of the creation covenant and the Mosaic Ten words, because that's what he's talking about. Does that make sense? Now, the other place that I will take you to is what we've already read. Jeremiah 31. 
What is different? What's new about the new covenant? I'm going to write the law on your hearts. What law? Well, the Ten Commandments. So do you have to keep the Ten Commandments because they're the part of the Mosaic Covenant? Look, the covenants work as a unit. You're going to keep it all or you're going to disobey it all. You can't pick part of the covenant and keep it. It doesn't work that way. So no, you don't... You know, it'll be like Andy Stanley here in a minute. You don't have to keep the Ten Commandments because it's the Mosaic Covenant. But insofar as the Ten Commandments reflect the moral law written on the heart at creation and rewritten on the heart by the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant, yes, you have to keep the Ten Commandments. Does that make sense? John, you're kind of a theologian. I keep looking back there to see if you're frowning. Will that dog hunt? Is that pretty well right? I mean, because, so yeah, not not the Mosaic Covenant, but I've got the creation covenant that that was modeled after, written on my heart, even as a non-believer. I know it's wrong to murder. I know it's wrong to steal. I know I need to worship God, and that's what the fourth commandment is. I need to worship God. And then it's rewritten on my heart in the new covenant. So that helps us not deal with the, the, all these little details about, well, you're not worshiping on the Sabbath, the Saturday. Well, baloney. That's, read the book of Hebrews. Understand what the Sabbath was in the beginning. It won't be a problem. But yes, you have to keep the Ten Commandments. Amen. Beautiful. Wonderful. Wonderful. Because we, we need to go there because uh, Jesus and Paul and the Torah seem to sum up the whole Mosaic law as love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Which part of that has gone away? None of it, right? It was there at the beginning and it's there now. Yes. Yes. Yes, but then he says it's actually an old commandment. <laughs> Why? Because it's there all the while. That's absolutely. So you can see where, you know, like I said, the, the guy that I sat under, who I learned most of it from, said, he said it one way, and I'm really nervous about saying it that way. I don't like to say it that way, but... The way I like to say it is, I think it's better, but I don't have a PhD, so who knows. But maybe it's just my hinkiness with, with kind of saying, no, you don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. I'm a little nervous about that. You see what I mean? But I think it's, it, those, both those explanations are the same explanation. The righteousness of God hasn't changed, and you are created in his image, and you must obey him. You must look like him. It's part of the new covenant. Yes, yes. It's what love looks like. Yeah, so, so what do we do? Well, we must worship only God. We must worship him properly. We must honor authority structures that he's put in place by, because we're worshiping him. We must honor his times of worship that he's laid out for us. What are the rest of them? I always get a little mixed up now. Do not... M- Murder is next? Well, yeah. Oh, honor your father and your mother, right? What was three? I, what did I say it was? Anyway, you know what I mean. All of those have application. Now I'm showing my ignorance. Yeah, don't take the name of the Lord or God's name, which is uh, yeah, using his names and his titles and putting his character where it does. Yeah, not putting his character where it And then, you know, honoring the authority structures. Do not murder. Do not steal. And all of those things that we learned in the New Covenant uh, from Jesus and Paul, that the do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not bear, what these are, are ways to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself with regard to these things. This is why Jesus says, um, you have heard that it was say, said, do not murder, but I tell you, if you're even angry, you've already committed murder. Um, that's because that's what the Ten Commandments really mean. You, so the Ten Commandments, if you flipped them, would be the uh, kind of the inalienable rights of a human being, those second, those last parts. But God puts them in like the negative. You shall not do this to your neighbor, which forces you to think, to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. So in our country, we think about the Bill of Rights, so everyone's picketing, demanding their rights. The way God did it was saying, you 
don't steal from your neighbor because he has a right to property. You don't steal your neighbor's wife because he has a right to his wife. You don't steal his good, his good name by lying about him in court because he has a right to a good name. You see what I mean? So it really is love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus was right. You've heard it was said, don't murder. But I tell you, if you're not loving your neighbor as much as yourself with regard to his, his life, you're, you've already broken the commandment. And Paul says, let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor. So he'll have something extra to give to someone who has need. Love your neighbor as much as, as yourself with regard to his wealth, you see. So the Ten Commandments, yes, they're obligatory to us. If you're understanding them, they're, they're just a, they are, the Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 is a summary of the moral law written on the heart of creation, but rewritten on the heart by the Holy Spirit in the new covenant, and you'll be fine. Any thoughts or comments? Oh, it's 15 minutes past. They're going to slay us. They're going to slay me. You tell them it was your fault. Okay? Anything? Go in peace. <laughs> I don't know. No Casey's back there.